Hello, and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm Ann Gordon here with my friend and Chavruta Yardena Osband, our daf of the day, Masachet Kitubot, daf Lamed Vav, page 36. So on page 36, we come to our next Mishnah. Yardena, you will take that. I want to, is on Amad Bet, I want to review um, a whole bunch of different cases that come up on Amad Aleph. So I'm going to say we're going to do a survey of Amad Aleph rather than learning all of it inside because it's too much. Um, but we have here a whole bunch of, we're back in Ketubot, by the way, in case you thought that all we were going to talk about this this Masachet was non-Ketubot topics. This this daf is very much about marriage and refusal to stay married and seduction and so on. So um, I'm going to start, uh, it's not far from the top. Uh, we have a case that's a bright that, the, that, that is brought that says we if you have a, a girl, a girl who refuses to stay married to the man that she's that she's been married to, right? Then um, that person she doesn't get in the event of rape, right, or even pitui or or seduction afterwards, right? She's married, she's lost her presumptive status as a virgin. Never mind the fact that she is young, right? So she no longer would be receiving the penalties, the financial penalties um, in the event of, as it says, rape or seduction. So the, the Gemara says one second. In general, we say that a Kitana, somebody who's a minor, you know, automatically will have, would, the, there's an automatic uh, fine for the rape of, of a girl. Right, because and the presumption here, and this is so not comfy for our modern ears, but the, the presumption is connected to the assumption that she is a virgin, right? Mani Rabbanani, and the Gemara says, "Well, who is this? Uh, who is this opinion like?" It's in the opinion of the rabbis, the Amri Kitana Yeshla Knas. They've said just straight up, a minor is a fine for rape, and then the question is going to be, and it gets into the discussion of what happens if you've got an ilonit. Right, an island who doesn't have the physical, you know, the outward physical signs of maturity, um, you know, does that put her in this status of being a minor who would have, you know, where the fine for reap would kick in? Or is she considered, you know, she's no longer young, even if she doesn't have the physical maturation signs? So, which category is she in? Is she going to be considered like a, an adult or like, you know, a katana in this regard? Okay, the Gemara then spends a good amount of time talking about, is it like the opinion of Rabbi Meir or the opinion of Rabbi Huda? And all of that is, I would hope everybody agrees, obviously valuable, but I want to move on to get to the next case because, again, a survey of Amun Aleph. Um, the next case is indeed the Ilonit. Ilonit, and I'm jumping now, you know, as I said, uh, or if I didn't say it, Amun Aleph is pretty long, so I'm, you know, jumping ahead of the discussion of Rabbi Huda and Rabbi Meir. And then we've got another Breita, Ailunit Ein La Lok Nas Vlopitui. And the Bre- so this Breita takes a stance on this question of the Ailunit and says that she will not get the, she, in the event of rape or seduction, she would not get the the financial penalties. But the Gemara says we've got a contradiction from a different Breita, which says that. Uh, somebody who's the Gemara's version of a deaf person and somebody who has cognitive impairment and the Ilonit who has this physical uh, lack of signs of maturation, 
Um, all of them would have, yes, they would get the knas, uh in the event of rape. And also they have a presumptive status of virginity unless otherwise, right? Meaning like if you, if one of them is married, then they lose that presumptive status, but they don't, but the assumption is the given is that they can claim that they have the right to claim that they were virgins prior to marriage. Um, so then the Gemara says, well, what is this kind of, what is this contradiction? And you can line it up just to say one opinion, one breakdown lines up with the opinion of Rabbana, and one breakdown lines up with the opinion of Rabbi Meir. So now we're going to jump on to the next case, right? Because the the analysis of each of these cases is less my interest today than the fact that these are the cases that are brought. Um, okay. Um, the next case, and so I'm jumping further, is I think going to be very interesting for those of us those of us who have been paying attention to the whole irony discussion throughout Yavamu. The Gemara says that there's a Breita that says, again, it's, each of these is a citation from a Breita. Um, the the Breita says that uh, an adult um, the adult does not have the presumptive status of a virgin. Why? And the issue isn't because she's been captive and there's a given that she was perhaps abused in that situation, right? Rather, So the, the, the commentaries here explain that the reason that the adult is not, does not have Tanah Petulim is because her, as her body matures, meaning ages, right? <clears throat> Regular signs of aging, then her body, the betulim, the what we would nowadays scientifically call the hymen, is no longer, you know, completely intact the way, and again, intact is kind of a misnomer here, but whatever. It, it no longer has that status that one assumes betulim for uh for one who is not an adult. And the guy says, Well, didn't Rav say, you know, that the that they gave her um the first night? What does it mean? that the entirety of that first wedding night for this adult, they the couple can can sleep together without worrying that there may have been blood, that there may have been the the Tulim, right? That there's a concern of um again, not menstruation, but that um that this is an issue of her virginity being um Again, the English is poor here, but you know to, that her English, that her virginity has been taken or or broken or however you want to call it. Uh, there's no concern of that because they can they can um, have the sexual encounter several times in the one night. So the Gemara says, So the Gemara says, well, if he claims that there is no blood after they sleep together the first time, after the marriage is consummated, well, then, yeah, then that's a legitimate claim that he can come and say, oh, she was supposed to have, if she's claiming betula, then there should be blood. But the, that's not the issue here. That's not this breita. This breita is the claim where he says um, that the phrase, we've seen this phrasing before, petach patuach, that it's an open entrance, meaning that there was no hymen. So the question of how could it be that an adult woman who has not had a sexual encounter before doesn't have 
uh, a hymen or a hymen to the, in such a way that it would bleed? And the answer is because that's adults, the bodies change and, and don't worry about this. It does not mean that she, the, the lack of the blood does not mean that she had a previous sexual encounter. Okay, the next case, immediately thereafter, it says, Suba Elatana Pitulim. Sumko says that the uh, uh, blind woman, <clears throat> the, nobody can claim that she has a. Let's say this careful. When it says, Ain La Tana Pitulim, it means that if somebody comes and says, uh, but there was no blood, right, that kind of thing, then, then you would have a legitimate claim against her. But if it says, if the given is that you can't even make that claim to begin with, then um, then it changes, I suppose, the presumption of when there could be, uh, I don't know, a complaint or a payment or whatever made on behalf of her virginity. What's the issue of the blind woman? The Gemara says, in this case, it's in the name of Rabbi Zera, so, I'm sorry, I don't want to go too far. The guy says, well, she fell on the ground, right? She fell on the ground in such a way that her hymen was, you know, is no longer intact. Again, poor phrasing, but fine, right? And then she would not necessarily have seen that blood because she's blind. So she wouldn't have even known to ask to discover that something had happened with the hymen. So she does, the guy is really interesting. It says, anybody who falls would see the blood and bring it to their mother and their mother would explain. And I find that to be like this, you know, um, teenage magazine passage of really intriguing. Yeah, I would like to look into it further. And is this expression or not expression, description of how people find their information, you know, used elsewhere. I guess we did see one time, like, go, go ask your mother type of thing. It's certainly um, not common. Right. I love that analogy. I love the idea that it understands this is something that would be, I love your analogy about it being like a teen magazine. And I love the, you know, that it's something that's passed from mother to daughter. No one's asking the rabbi this question, right? Like in other it's words, to acknowledge this is female Masora, right? This is something your mother would explain to you. But I, I think what's great about this passage, which you did a really this whole umud and a half that you basically, uh, you know, summarize is that what we're seeing here is a series of different cases or Tanaitic statements. And the Gemara basically saying, okay, we just spent the last few dap in reviewing all these different opinions with you. We now want to try to figure out how did these other, you know, tie up all the loose ends before we get to the next Mishnah, how do they fit with the with all these opinions that we presented to you? That's how I would sort of summarize this Ahmed and a half sort of in one one quick thought. Yeah, I have. I'm sorry to do this, but I have one more case that I think does exactly that, where the the details of the last case brings in, you know, what happens when you've got violations at the same time and witnesses and so on, which I think does the tie up very nicely. I'm not going to read all of the details inside, but just everybody should know that this last breita by Yotzeit Bishum Shem Ra Ein La Loknas Vlopitui, somebody who leaves her husband because of a bad reputation which also is a very interesting sociological comment, right? To say that there is such a thing and that, and that it's considered a phenomenon right. that so would happen. can spend time trying to explain, like, what's a shame rat, you know? Right. So, which is interesting. Yes. But, but again, the, she, it doesn't say that she's, you know, the, the government goes on to say that someone who leaves her husband under these circumstances, you know, um, 
the question is, should that person be then stoned as an adulteress, right? And, and so, and if she's being stoned as an adulteress, then obviously she's not going to get the monetary t- um, compensation for for a rape or seduction because you know, isn't this isn't this exactly what she's got coming to her type of thing that she's all gone beyond some you know her own her own culpability goes beyond the what who deserves the the fine right and the answer is well that's not it's not so it's not so clear meaning possibly but it's not so clear which shouldn't surprise us that that's a conclusion at all and of course then that's why i say it brings in the questions of witnesses and and um and you know again as you said your data what to what extent what does it really mean that she's got a shame ra because if it means that she's committed adultery, then say she's committed adultery. That's a really different kind of thing than that she's got this reputation. And did she have this reputation, the Gemara wants to know, you know, coming into the marriage to begin with? In which case, again, that can change the whole the whole circumstance because, you know, did he, what anybody who's marrying somebody who's got this quote unquote questionable reputation, you know, has to already establish that that's the 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 baseline. Then you can't then claim that she's you know, guilty of more than she's ever done. Okay. Over to you, Mishnah. All right. Miss new Mishnah. Uh not a great Mishnah, but it's a Mishnah. So we have the previous Mishnah which talked about who d- who does have fines in these, you know, paid to their fathers in a case of when they're raped or seduced. And here are cases of women who would not have a fine paid to paid to their father. Haba al Giord Baal Hashuvia Baal Shivcha Shinitsu Sorry about that. So uh, somebody uh, who rapes or seduces basically a convert or a captive woman or a uh, a non-Jewish maid service who any of these women were redeemed, converted, or emancipated. Um, And that redemption or conversion or emancipation happened more than three years and one day old because presumably then they uh, do not have, we don't make an assumption of virginity. So therefore, if they were raped or seduced, you know, it's it's not like they took away their virginity. Totally offensive, Mishnah. I don't got anything <laughs> to say here. Okay. <laughs> but that's not fair. <laughs> Meaning the Gemara is not trying to, the Mishnah is not trying to be offensive, right? No, no, no. Correct. For modern learners, this is a difficult mishnah. Let's say it that way. Rabbi Yehuda Omer, Harezo Apalpi So Rabbi Yehuda says that a captive woman who is redeemed basically stays in her state of kedusha even though she is adult. In other words, we don't necessarily make an assumption that she absolutely would have been violated uh, while she was in, you know, while she was a captive. So now the Mishnah continues with a list of women who they're not fine when they're raped or seduced. And so basically, this is somebody who does this with his own daughter or his daughter's daughter or son's daughter or his wife's daughter or his son's daughter or his daughter's daughter. In other words, who would you be paying the fine to? would be the person who committed this bad crime. So obviously they don't have a kanas. Also, it's because those acts are actually an action uh, that you get the death penalty for. 
שמיטתן בידי בית דין. וכל המתחייב בנפשו אם משלם ממון. Right? And anybody who commits an uh, act of, uh, you know, capital punishment, right, they don't actually pay the fines. Right? And yet, no. So they quote your Pasuk in Shemot, chapter 21, verse 22, that says, yet no harm follow, he shall be punished. What this Pasuk basically teaches us is that if a woman dies, right, and the one who struck her is chayev to receive the death penalty, he basically is pator from any payment, from any damages that he would have gotten for actually, uh, you know, for, for killing her. So it's either you get the death penalty or you pay this fine. Uh, okay. I don't have too much to say about this Mishnah. Again, it's, it's like a continuation of the previous Mishnah. We went through who does get the Kanas, and now we went through who doesn't get a Kanas. Okay. The Gemara does something. I'm just going to read the beginning of the Gemara here. The Gemara does something. It has a very interesting example. I'm a Rabbi Yochanan. Rabbi Yochanan says, Rabbi Yudha for Rabbi Bidosa, Amrutavarchad. Rabbi Yudha and Rabbi Dosa said the same thing talking about this captive woman. Rabbi Yudha Hadamran. Rabbi Yudha, that what we said in the Mishnah. Rabbi Dosa, quote, we quote a price here, Titania. Shubya, Ochela Bitruma. So a captive woman, meaning a captive daughter or a wife of a priest who then gets redeemed, she's allowed to continue to eat Truma because again, the idea is, is that we assume she still has full rights as either a bat coin or the wife of a coin. Debre uh, Rabbi Dosa. So these are the words Rabbi Dosa because these, right? Okay. I'm a Rabbi Dosa. Rabbi Dosa says, sala arve halad. So Rabbi Dosa said the following as he was explaining this. What did this Arab do to her to took her captive? So it's interesting that this is the category of person that they use. This is not a political commentary the way that it would be today, right? I think they're just talking about the people who surrounded them at that time, right? Uh, so he says, let's say it's a case where what all he did was sort of squeeze between her breasts. Does that mean that he made her unfit to marry into the priesthood? So what Rabbi Dosa, I think, is trying to say here is, is that all of these cases that we've sort of described, particularly around the issue of a woman who is held captive, and we, we had those missions before about, you know, two women who come, who are they allowed to testify on behalf of each other that nothing happened? I think a little bit what Rabbi Dosa is saying is, is that there's a spectrum of violation here, right? Like, sadly, there's many different things that could have happened to this woman, and it doesn't necessarily have to be just around sort of like the ultimate violation, which would be a sexual act of intercourse, right? Like, in other words, she could have been violated, but it may not have been intercourse. And so what he's sort of asking the question is like, okay, a violation could have happened, but are we always going to assume the worst case violation, one that would actually sort of, uh, you know, make her not be entitled to the truma itself or not be entitled to marry into um, into the kuhuna. The Gemara is going to continue this discussion. I'm not going to go uh, through it, but I, I think it's a very interesting point that this Brisa brings out about Rabbi Dosa. Like, I really appreciated it. Like, it, it, it's giving a much more sort of, I think, real life example or nuanced sort of discussion around this issue. Like, the way it's been presented before in the missions, it's a very like either or. Like, either this violation happened or nothing happened. And I think Rabbi Dosa is a little bit trying to say here, like, 
there's a lot of other things that could have happened here. And some of those things are bad, but it doesn't mean that it makes them, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, that they're no longer allowed to partake in truma. That's the example that he uses. But I actually think there's something like empathic in what he's saying as well. Like, but it's still a violation if those things happen to them. Like that wouldn't have been a nice experience for them to have, for that woman to have been to have gone through. I also appreciated this uh, this comment, this observation. I felt like it's a, you know we all had this experience a few years ago of the, the Me Too movement, the rise of the Me Too movement, and this discussion of you know if you to what degree was one a victim of sexual abuse, sexual harassment, sexual rape? Right? Meaning there's there even in modern parlance we need to recognize that there are gradations and that not everything is the same but still as you've just said it's still it wouldn't be nice meaning there's there's somebody who has been the victim of sexual harassment hasn't necessarily experienced rape but that is still sexual harassment and it is still problematic so and and i think also for all of the people who kind of were were very tense about the default that somebody who's been taken captive is automatically then considered you know have the the victim of rape I, I really appreciated his recognition that people can get molested in ways that are still lesser and that doesn't make it nothing. Right. But what he's also saying is, is like, right, the assumption shouldn't be that go-to. And that's sort of what Ravi Huda was saying also. Like, sadly, there's a lot of different things that could have happened. Um, and, you know, but we don't always have to assume the we don't also have to make sort of like her life even worse by saying, oh, and now you can't marry a current also. I, I read his statement very empathically, actually. Well, that's our DAP discussion for the day. Rank us reviews on all major podcasts. Thank you to Revenue Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hadron website. Let us know what you thought about this DAP on our Talking Talmud Facebook page. And until tomorrow, go and learn.